Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know? The comment from Link's uncle when he says, Save the princess, Zelda is your, has caused a lot of confusion among Western gamers. This is because it seems to imply Princess Zelda has some sort of family relation to Link. However, the line is likely a misinterpretation by the game's English translators. The original Japanese dialogue states, Save Princess Zelda, you are the princesses, as if Link's uncle was about to say something along the lines of, You are the princess's only hope. Development of A Link to the Past started long before the Super Nintendo released and took about three years to complete. This included a year of experimentation, a year of planning, and a year of actual production. Similar to how the original Legend of Zelda was developed alongside Super Mario Bros., A Link to the Past was purposefully developed alongside Super Mario World and was intended to come out near the Super Nintendo's launch. The idea to return to a top-down perspective was something Zelda creator Shigeru Miyamoto had been planning for years. In fact, he decided the third Zelda would be top-down even before work began on Zelda 2 Adventure of Link. Miyamoto also planned to include a party of characters in A Link to the Past, an elf fighter hybrid, a magical fairy, and a girl. This fairy character would have done reconnaissance instead of fighting, but the fairy was ultimately brought forward and used in Zelda 2 instead. In some cases, there's concept art for elements that were left out of Link to the Past. Some concept art for Zelda shows her in futuristic attire. When the original Legend of Zelda was being developed, it was planned for the fragments of the Triforce to be electronic chips, and the entire game overworld would have existed in both the past and the future, with Link being the link between the two times. This concept art could be an indication that Nintendo wanted to revisit the idea and explain why A Link to the Past has multiple worlds. Speaking of which, early in production, the team toyed with the idea of having three overworlds in the game instead of two. However, they feared that three worlds might overcomplicate the gameplay and be difficult to implement. There was another story element planned for the game. At one point, the story would have involved the world ending when a large egg cracked at the top of a mountain. Sound familiar? This idea was later used in Link's Awakening for the windfish and its egg at Tall Tall Heights. There were several other elements planned for Link to the Past. One new addition to the series was that Link could walk diagonally. The team originally had Link swinging his sword while facing these diagonal directions as well, but sword swinging didn't feel right at an angle. Diagonal sword attacks were removed, and the team came up with a spin attack to fill their place. The team also planned for wildfires to sweep across a patch of grass if the player lit them with a lantern, an idea that was eventually used in Four Sword Adventures. The team also wanted to add the ability to dig a ditch with a shovel and bomb the edge of a body of water to expand it. At one point, the player also had to go around testing walls to see if they were destructible. If the player hit a wall with their sword and heard a hollow sound, the wall could be brought down with a bomb. By itself, this mechanic proved to be too and small cracks were added to indicate that walls could be broken. Link to the Past is famous for its incredible music, but surprisingly enough, that music gave the development team a lot of trouble. The music originally took a whole megabit of data, an eighth of the entire cartridge. This was a huge amount of music for games at the time, and programmers struggled to compress it all to make room for other data. In fact, the size of the music meant some elements had to be left out of the game entirely. A lack of space on the cartridge, as well as time constraints, are two often cited reasons as to why ideas were left out of the game. Thank you. 
There are a few complete elements in the game's data that, for whatever reason, weren't implemented in the final version. There's a fully programmed but unused enemy in the game that holds a cannon. This cannon soldier will fire in the general direction of the player and, when knocked back after taking a hit, will walk to the position they started in. Unlike other blue soldiers, they take two hits to kill instead of three. There's also an unused skull statue that was intended to appear in the Skull Woods dungeon but can only be viewed by glitching or hacking the game. Interestingly, the statue's design seems to have been reused in the background of Yarna Desert in Link's Awakening. When A Link to the Past was re-released for the Game Boy Advance, the graphic appeared in a new bonus dungeon called Palace of the Four Sword. Although many of Link to the Past's secrets are behind the scenes, some of its secrets can be found in-game. If the player solves the puzzle inside of the swamp ruins, the water will begin to flow and drain the swamp outside. This will cause a fish to appear, flopping around on the ground. If the player brings the fish to the street merchant in Kakariko Village, he'll give the player 21 rupees, 10 arrows, 8 bombs, and a magic jar. If the player goes north of Kakariko Village, they'll see two lumberjacks. The Japanese word for lumberjack is Kikori, and the name of the childlike race in Ocarina of Time is Kokiri, an anagram of Kikori. Considering the name and that the lumberjacks wear similar green outfits, this may be where the idea for the Kokiri race originated. If the player enters the Waterfall of Wishing, they'll be asked if they want to throw an item into the pond. If the player throws in an item, then responds to the fairy honestly, she'll upgrade whatever item was thrown in. This is likely a reference to the Aesop fable, The Honest Woodsman. In the story, a man accidentally throws his regular old axe into a lake. Then he starts weeping, having lost his only means of livelihood. The god Hermes takes pity on him and goes to retrieve his axe. Hermes emerges from the lake with a golden axe and asks the man if it's his. The man says that it isn't. Hermes then finds a silver axe and asks the man again. The man says that it isn't his axe either. Because of the man's honesty, Hermes lets him take all three axes. A Link to the Past has received a lot of praise over the years, some of which came from within Nintendo itself. During a question and answer session on Nintendo of America's official Twitter account, CEO Reggie Fizeme revealed that A Link to the Past is his all-time favorite game. Did you know? Nintendo considered naming a link between worlds the new Legend of Zelda. This was due to the game's new yet classic approach, which was likened to New Super Mario Bros. and how that game brought Mario back to its roots. A Link to the Past was called Triforce of the Gods in Japan. And since A Link Between Worlds is a sequel of sorts, its Japanese name is simply The Legend of Zelda Triforce of the Gods 2. Although A Link Between Worlds is the game's final name, it was internally called Jack. This seems to be part of a bigger reference. The internal name for Ocarina of Time 3D is Queen. For Wind Waker HD, it's King. And for Majora's Mask 3D, it's Joker. The internal name for Triforce Heroes is Alice, implying the project names are all a reference to Alice in Wonderland. The game has another secret within a name. The protagonist Yuga is named after the Japanese word Yuga, which means oil painting, a clear reference to his wall-merging magic. Plans to make a link between worlds began immediately after the completion of Spirit Tracks in 2009, and before the 3DS was fully developed. Most of the Spirit Tracks team left to work on Skyward Sword, leaving only three developers to work on a new game. These were Shiro Mori, Hiromasa Shikata, and an unnamed programmer. The three-man team began making a game around the theme of communication, and after about six months of work, the project was shown to Zelda creator Shigeru Miyamoto. Miyamoto thought the project was outdated, saying it seemed like an idea that's 20 years old. The team dropped their old concepts and brainstormed something new. During a meeting, Shikata had the idea of Link entering walls. The concept didn't make sense to him at the time, but it was at least something they could expand on. Although Shikata came up with the wall merging idea, series producer Eiji Aonuma has a different account of where the concept came from. Aonuma told Spike.com that it originated from the Phantom Ganon fight in Ocarina of Time. 
He stated, There's a part there where Phantom Ganon turned into a painting, but we thought it might be interesting to give Link that ability, to have him be able to turn into a painting and go in the walls, and then use that ability to get around obstacles and go to places that he hadn't been able to go to before. That said, Aonuma could simply be describing how they elaborated on Shikata's idea. A prototype of Link merging with walls and wrapping around corners was made in a single day, and the idea of Link going through cracks and walls spawned from this prototype. The project was again presented to Miyamoto, who this time gave his approval. After their victory, however, the team was disbanded to work on titles for the upcoming Wii U, which desperately needed games for its launch. Sensing the project wouldn't be finished in 2013 if work didn't resume immediately, Aonuma worked part-time on the game with two staff members while the rest of the team were away. A few test dungeons with the wall mechanic were made, with plans to make 50 more small-scale dungeons. When this 50-dungeon proposal was shown to Miyamoto, it was literally torn up. Miyamoto reiterated a suggestion he'd already made, that they should base the game on A Link to the Past. Miyamoto had previously asked for A Link to the Past to be remade with stereoscopic 3D, but Aonuma had dismissed this. Aonuma thought a 2D game with 3D visuals wasn't interesting enough on its own. However, this idea was a solution to one of the game's issues. The title started out using the Spirit Tracks camera angle, which the team grew bored of. The camera didn't change enough when Link merged with a wall, which presumably affected the gameplay. To give a clearer view of Link, and better define both parts of the game, the camera was made to switch from a top-down view to a side view when Link transformed. For Aonuma, the wall merging and camera utilization ultimately justified a 2D-style Zelda having 3D visuals, as it made the concept more interesting. Instead of starting from scratch, Aonuma wanted to convert A Link to the Past's map into 3D. The team were worried about basing the game on A Link to the Past, as they didn't want the project to become yet another Zelda remake. Aonuma didn't believe it would become a remake, and tried to convince everyone that they were heading in the right direction. He made a tool to recreate the 2D maps in 3D, and quickly remade chunks of the world to show the team his vision. A test of Link moving around these areas was made within two months and shown to Miyamoto, who again approved. Some of these early, crudely rendered areas can still be found in the game's data. The team decided to make the game run at 60 frames per second, which led to many restrictions for the designers. They had to keep geometry simple and effects minimal to keep a constant high frame rate. This was done to stabilize the game's 3D effects, which the team began experimenting with. They tried using the game's stereoscopic 3D to enhance the Tower of Hera, as it had a lot of depth and verticality. The team made Link jump to the next floor by hitting jump platforms with a hammer to emphasize the 3D, but the idea didn't work out as they wanted. Instead, it became the mechanic where Link is slung into the air by the mole enemies. This area was one of the first to be made, and influenced how the rest of the game's dungeons were made. Although the team was eager to experiment with stereoscopic 3D, they had to keep themselves in check. Partway through development, they were told about the Nintendo 2DS and the system's limitations. Since its hardware couldn't display 3D, they had to tweak the game so that all puzzles could be solved without stereoscopic visuals. The team also experimented with Link being able to jump in his wall form, as they thought running along a wall resembled 2D platforming games. They ultimately decided to keep things simple, and limit Link to horizontal movement. Another interesting detail about the game's perspective is that every object in the game is slanted. This was done so the player could clearly see the front of objects, such as Link. If the characters were standing straight, the player would only see the top of Link's head. Some dungeons in A Link to the Past can be completed out of chronological order. Nintendo saw an opportunity to expand on this concept and allow players to complete later dungeons in any order they want. This meant that if a player got stuck on a puzzle, they could simply go to a different dungeon and continue playing. Aonuma has admitted that Nintendo has a bad habit of holding the player's hand to make sure they don't get stuck. Aonuma and Shikata actually argued for three days over including a single hint in the game. It would have helped the player solve one of the game's puzzles, but was ultimately removed. The idea to rent items at a cheap, accessible price near the start of the game came from one of Aonuma's hobbies. People 
people new to the hobby could rent items before purchasing them to see if they liked them, and the same economics were applied to the game. Interestingly, the team never intended to use a live orchestra for a link between worlds. This is because live orchestras produce too much reverberation and low-pitched sounds for good playback on 3DS speakers. The game's music purposely uses recordings that are low in bass for optimal playback on the 3DS and standard earphones. The game has a few other musical secrets. When the low rule castle theme is reversed, part of it becomes the high rule castle theme. Nintendo also reused some music exclusively in Japan. A track from an infamous Japanese A Link to the Past commercial was updated, and reused to advertise A Link Between Worlds. Although some of the names appear to have been changed from A Link to the Past to A Link Between Worlds, they were simply reverted to their original names. The Loyal Sage was originally known as Shinpu in Japan, which means priest. The name was changed in A Link to the Past because of Nintendo of America's stance on minimizing religious references in games. Did you know? The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask actually has voice commands programmed into the game, and they still work. On March the 1st, 2018, Nintendo 64 ROM hacker Zoinkity found voice commands programmed into the original Japanese release of the game. Just a day later, Zoinkity discovered the voice commands were programmed into all versions of Majora's Mask, including the GameCube re-releases. For years it was known that Majora's Mask's debug menu mentioned support for the voice recognition system add-on, but there'd been no proof the game ever actually used it until now. It appears a single byte of data is the only thing stopping the VRS from working. Once changed in the ROM, commands can be spoken into the voice recognition system just as they can in Hey You Pikachu. The commands are in Japanese in all versions. Okiro, Japanese for wake up, can be used to wake up Deku Scrubs. Ato Nanjikan, or how many hours left, can be asked of the Sheikah Stones to tell the player the time. Then there's milk, which allows the player to gather twice as much milk from cows. Of course, this isn't the only secret surrounding the game. The game's original director, Eiji Aonuma, actually wasn't looking forward to remaking the game for the 3DS. Aonuma said, It was one of those games where I was able to do quite a bit because I was much younger, so I didn't want to open that lid again. When Aonuma finally reopened the lid, he found decision after decision that made him think, what in the world? In fact, there were so many questionable decisions that Aonuma ended up making a what in the world list of features that needed to be tweaked or changed. When he gave the list to the 3DS design team, it was filled with confession-style apologies. One read, At the time, I think there was something wrong with me. It's probably good that some ideas from Aonuma's younger days didn't make it into Majora's Mask. One idea considered was that Link would mark his hand to reflect the balance in his bank account. Aonuma recalled, Maybe you could only see them if you shone a black light on them. This would sort of make sense in that he goes back in time but stays who he is. He retains everything that is part of his person. You could just look at your hand and say, Oh yes, you were this person with this account and this is your balance. But the team realised there'd be some paradoxical issue no matter their approach. Ocarina of Time also had 
had many obscure features that were changed before the final release. In 1997, Miyamoto was interviewed by Japan's Famimaga 64 magazine, and revealed several details about Ocarina of Time that were different to the final game. Originally, Link would have had his speed slowed down as his health depleted. Only adult Link would have been able to use magic. Link would have been able to use staves as weapons. And Link would have been able to dash by pressing the B button when the game prompted it. The three spiritual stones were also intended to slot into the ocarina, which had three holes for this purpose. Miyamoto even said Shadow Link wouldn't be an Ocarina of Time, as it was a last minute addition to Zelda 2. He also suggested that there'd be multiple horseback enemies, but the only enemy who rides a horse in the final game is Phantom Ganon. Yet one feature was always intended to make it in, the Demon Roosters. Miyamoto said, We created this rooster so realistically, it's scary. He follows along just like a stalker. It would be bad if you bullied it. The Gerudo Fortress isn't accessible to Link when he's a child. However, an extra piece of hearts can be found above Link's cell while in child form, and can only be obtained via cheats or glitches. The treasure chest that contains a piece of heart for adult Link instead holds an odd mushroom during the child era. Both of these discoveries imply that the fortress was originally explorable by child Link, and these objects can even still be found in the 3DS remake of the game. There's also unused files on Ocarina of Time's bonus disc, which was a pre-order bonus for the Wind Waker. The disc contains files alluding to The Legend of Zelda X, along with a logo for the title. Many believe that this was the bonus disc's original title. Twilight Princess went in a different direction to Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. Rather than having details left out of the final game, details went into the game that are obsolete or difficult for a player to notice. For example, in most Zelda games, signposts can be chopped up with your sword. In Twilight Princess, the wooden pieces left over are programmed to float in water. What makes this detail interesting is that in the final game, there are no signposts located directly next to rivers, so to find it, players need to move the pieces to the river themselves. The feature took some time to implement, with Miyamoto jokingly saying, This feature took us about the same time as it did to work on just one of the horses. Among Nintendo's staff, Miyamoto is known to upend the tea table, meaning he demands large changes to a game towards the end of development. Aya Kyogoku, who was in charge for the overall script and some events for Twilight Princess, said players originally only spent one day in Ordon Village, the first location of the game. Kyogoku said, Out of the blue, it was decided to make it three days. We got a sheet of paper with a specification plan written on it, a kind of Miyamoto-san's three-day plan. According to Kyogoku, the team received the paper late in development, right after E3. The reason seemed to boil down to the Wii version of Twilight Princess not giving players much time to adapt to the radically new control scheme. If players only spent a small amount of time there before heading to more difficult parts, they might feel unprepared and get frustrated. Still, the effect of the decision was abrupt and intense. Programming, positions of characters, field design, all of the lines spoken by characters, and even several items in the village were altered. 
Kyogoku had to tell the European and American localization teams that the village was going to be completely changed, and not to translate anything before the changes were finished. But then, right when the team was finishing up, the tea table was upended again when it was decided to put another event into the game's story. Despite this, the team managed to get everything finished in time for release, including the localization staff. While the localizations for Breath of the Wild are largely the same between the Japanese and English versions of the game, some interesting changes were made. One difference is that the English localization team appears to have changed the motivation behind Ganon transforming into his Dark Beast form. In the English localization, it stated, He has given up on reincarnation and assumed his pure, enraged form. This appears to directly contradict the Japanese version, which says, This form was born from his obsessive refusal to give up on revival. This wasn't the only interesting difference. One change was made to the book, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Creating a Champion. In the Japanese version of the book, concept art of Link's family can be found in a transition page between book sections. This art shows Link's father, who is stated to be a knight in the game, and his sister. The English version of the book replaces this photo with a map, effectively region-locking the art. There's another hint to Link's origins in creating a champion that may confirm a long-standing fan theory. In the entry for Hateno Village, it says Link's hometown may have been Hateno Village. The image accompanying the entry seems to imply that the vacant house for sale in the village once belonged to Link and his family. Of course, for a game as large as Breath of the Wild, there are many unused ideas. One of these appeared at the Game Developers Conference in 2017. There, several Breath of the Wild developers gave a presentation about breaking the conventions of the Zelda franchise. One of the unused pieces of concept art showed off, depicted a floating island with Ganondorf standing atop of it. Though it never appeared in Breath of the Wild, this idea might not go unused after all. In the trailer for Breath of the Wild's sequel, a clip shows part of the land, Hyrule Castle included, breaking off from the earth and rising into the sky. Another unused idea for the Zelda series comes from Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario. Martinet once asked Shigeru Miyamoto whether he could also be the voice of Link. Miyamoto reportedly responded, Link isn't going to have a voice, he's going to stay the way he is. If Martinet was disappointed, he didn't show it, saying, Of course, Mr. Miyamoto is always right. The way it works right now is the way it's supposed to be. Speaking of voice work, both Zelda The Wand of Gamelon and Link The Faces of Evil for the Philips CDI have unused audio warnings. The protagonists of both games will warn the player that the game disc might be dirty, and recommend cleaning it before continuing. I think your game disc must be dirty. Try ending the game and cleaning your disc. Fans of Nintendo might be aware of the IQ player. It was a Chinese exclusive console that essentially existed as an alternative to the Nintendo 64, and used comparative hardware. Well, the IQ player was finally cracked in April 2018, a full 15 years after its release. Inside, hackers discovered a never-before-seen Taiwanese ROM of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. This suggests that the IQ player, and possibly also Ocarina of Time, were originally planned to be localized and released in the region. Today we'll be taking a look at several cases of plagiarism of the Legend of Zelda series, some of which are quite surprising. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness, or so says Oscar Wilde. 
This episode will be exploring games that clearly took too much inspiration from Zelda, or media that literally took material straight out of the series. While in some cases these may be inspired by Zelda, at some point inspiration and homage don't quite fit the description. It's easy to assume that because something is almost entirely plagiarized, it would be inferior or generally of poor quality, but this simply isn't the case with this first example we're looking at. Announced in 2019 and set to release sometime in 2020, Genshin Impact is an action RPG set in a vast cel-shaded world utilizing elemental-based combat and gameplay. Players set off in the world fighting with both close-quarters weapons like swords while also being able to use a bow and arrow for long-range attacks. The player is able to climb environments with a depleting stamina meter and glide across long distances. They must also solve environmental puzzles, cook at fires and hunt small critters for meat, and enemies can be defeated through direct combat or by using elements such as fire. Now some would identify what we've just described as Breath of the Wild, though the description applies to both of these games. Genshin Impact, however, is not a Nintendo property, and is instead created by MiHoYo, a Chinese studio best known for the mobile game Honkai Impact 3rd. The company doesn't shy away from the clear similarities between their new title and Breath of the Wild, calling the Nintendo game an inspiration for their new release. Genshin Impact was shown at China Joy Gaming Expo by Sony, leading many in the audience to question exactly what they were seeing. The similarities between Breath of the Wild are immediately noticeable to anyone that has played the Nintendo Heavy Hitter. Fans at the event could be seen holding up their Nintendo Switch consoles or copies of Breath of the Wild, whilst flipping off the newly revealed game at Sony's booth. One fan was so upset that they even destroyed their PlayStation 4 console for all to see. And I don't know why. <laughs> One unsurprising addition to Genshin Impact, which has not been fully revealed and is not present in Breath of the Wild, is the inclusion of microtransactions. It's believed that these are used in order to unlock additional equipment and possibly additional characters in a gachapon-like system. With this in mind, Genshin Impact will be released free to play, though it is yet to be seen how much of an abuse of the customer's purchasing habits the title will take advantage of. This isn't the only Breath of the Wild inspired game to come to light since the Switch title's launch, and unsurprisingly, this next game comes from the mobile game market. The game, released in China, is called The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Adventure Journey. The game's listing showed images ripped directly from Breath of the Wild as well as from Hyrule Warriors. Despite the game's title including Zelda and the page's screenshots including Zelda gameplay and characters, the game itself actually looks nothing like Zelda. Proclaimed as a high-quality recreation of the PC version, it looks like Breath of the Wild Adventure Journey is actually just another random Chinese game released under a different name with fake screenshots. Somehow, this game managed to appear on both the iOS and Google Play stores, though as you might expect, it has since been removed. While this ill-fated title and Genshin Impact might not literally contain any material from the Zelda franchise, one game released on the Nintendo Switch eShop actually does. In July of 2020, Korean video game development and publishing studio HUP released what they describe as the original action RPG, Final Sword, on Nintendo's online store for $17.70. Now, you might not be too shocked to learn that this game is simply a Switch port of a mobile game and makes use of a wide array of generic game assets. However, there's more to the game than this, as the title also uses music that, while not ripped from a Zelda game, is clearly using Zelda's lullaby. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. How the game passed Nintendo's quality control is yet to be determined, but it likely comes as many games are being approved for sale each week, leading to less stringent quality assurance being held over third-party titles. It only took a few days for the big end to take notice, and the game was subsequently removed from the Japanese eShop before ultimately being removed from international stores as well. Now here's an interesting case of theft, though this time it isn't quite so clear-cut. In Russia, a schoolgirl became a young author with her first book published in 2007, Agramont. Exmo, the book's publisher, began a large-scale campaign to promote the young author, claiming, The book is a real miracle. Nothing like this has ever been published in our country or abroad. Valeria Speranda was only 10 years old when she wrote this book. A lot of emphasis was made on the unique nature of the novel, which was compared to the likes of Lord of the Rings and Narnia, and the fact that the book contained special, magical people that you will not meet in any other book. After appearing on shelves and selling some 20,000 copies, skeptics began to speak out, claiming that the book may not actually be the work of a 10-year-old and that it was actually the work of an adult. This was quashed after Valeria turned up to a book club presentation and soon she had been interviewed by a large number of outlets. She claimed to have written the book for her mother as a birthday gift, and that she was guided by her mum to make a detailed work plan, think through the plot to the end, and break it into chapters. The response to the book was mixed, but one group of readers seemed rather unhappy. Gamers. The book is in fact a rather detailed retelling of the plot of Ocarina of Time. A small excerpt from the opening should provide enough evidence for anyone aware of Ocarina of Time's introduction. 
Alan was sleeping. The night was unusually dark without the moon and stars. For several days now, the boy's dream was filled with anxieties and nightmares. A little fairy, like a firefly, cut through the pre-dawn darkness with a bright stripe. She knew who was the chosen one. Navi flew to Alan's house. He was the chosen one. Many characters from the story, such as Navi, Ganondorf, the Gerudo, Talon and Malin retained their names, though some were changed, like Lord Jabu Jabu becoming Lord Wabu Wabu, or Lake Hylia becoming Lake Shelia. Link, of course, became Alan, while Zelda became Elder by simply removing the Z in Zelda. Many became aware that the credit for the book's imaginative world shouldn't be given to the young Russian schoolgirl, but the adult Japanese developer Shigeru Miyamoto. Nintendo never challenged the publication legally, and the book's publisher has refrained from comment, though they were likely unaware of Zelda and were genuinely impressed with the imagination behind the plagiarized story. When asked recently about her book, Valeria said she spent some time growing up in Germany where she got an N64 and Ocarina of Time for her birthday. She learned German whilst at school and could understand the relatively basic vocabulary of the game. Where the book diverts in story from Ocarina of Time is based on her inability as a child to face scarier moments, so she would make up stories around those segments. Much of her original writing was criticised by the publisher and rewrites were constant, with several changes being made from her original drafts. She spoke of being bullied for several months after the book's similarities to Zelda came to light, while the book's publisher was communicating with Nintendo of Japan. Apparently, the Japanese rights teams didn't take the case any further, and eventually concentration on the novel dissipated. Valeria Speranda gave up her career in writing for a culinary vocation and believes she'll never go back to writing for fears of people assuming any new story she makes will be plagiarized. Previously on this show, we've mentioned the Super Nintendo add-on, the Satellaview. The device was released exclusively in Japan in 1995 and allowed users to connect to a digital satellite and stream data to their console. This worked in a similar fashion to the internet services commonly seen today allowing players to read magazines, add additional content to existing games, and even download new games to a memory pack. These streams would have a designated time of broadcast and cutoff time. The Satellview's games were also usually prefixed with the letters BS, an abbreviation of the term Broadcast Satellview. Today, we'll be exploring a number of games from the Zelda series that were broadcast to the system. These titles were never re-released, and as a result are only playable thanks to a dedicated fan community. We'll start with a look at B.S. The Legend of Zelda. B.S. Zelda is a fully-fledged remake of the original Legend of Zelda, published on the NES in 1986. With B.S. Zelda being on the Super Nintendo, the game's graphics were recreated within 16-bit limitations. The title plays in the same fashion as the game's original release, with a few changes both minor and major. A few examples are that the Super Nintendo's L and R buttons allow the player to switch between items on the fly, and the maximum number of rupees is increased from 255 to 999. Alterations were also made to the game's map, reducing the game's overworld as well as completely changing the layouts of the dungeons. These changes have caused many fans to refer to the title as a third quest for The Legend of Zelda, as the original had a second quest that was unlocked after beating the game. A feature that couldn't be done without the Satellaview was the game's use of the Soundlink system, allowing a narrator to provide hints and tips at certain points of the livestream. This narrator is alleged to be the old man from the start of the game. 
Two versions of BS Zelda were broadcast. Between August 9th and August 30th, 1995, the version known as Third Quest was streamed to the console. However, in December of 1996, a version featuring a different world was broadcast. This is often referred to as the Map 2 version of the game, or the Fourth Quest. Because the game was streamed to players, it had to be played in real time. As a result, events would occur at certain points during a broadcast, such as killing all enemies on screen or giving the player an unlimited quantity of items. The game was streamed in four weekly installments and players had to tune in at those times if they wanted to play. As you've likely noticed, another feature of the broadcast is that the player is actually not taking control of Link. Instead, the title makes use of the Satellaview's mascots. These are a red-headed girl and a boy with a baseball cap. The player's name and gender were determined by the user's settings on the BSX hardware and loaded into the game. This is the first time a Nintendo-developed Zelda game would feature a female protagonist. Prior to this release, the only Zelda games to have a playable female character were the CDI titles by Philips. This playable character is known as the Hero of Light, a character that would be explored more in the next game we'll be looking at. BS The Legend of Zelda Ancient Stone Tablets Broadcast in 1997, BS The Legend of Zelda Ancient Stone Tablets made use of the Super Nintendo's Link to the Past engine, once again putting the player in the shoes of the Hero of Light. A number of changes were made to the game's mechanics, such as being able to change direction while using the Pegasus boots. This change was possibly inspired by the ability to change direction while running in Marvelous, another treasure island by E.G. Enuma. The title is often seen as a sort of second quest for A Link to the Past, as many elements from the original game are reused and rearranged to create an original release. The only difference to most standard second quests within the Zelda series is that Ancient Stone Tablets actually features its own unique storyline. The game's story takes place six years after Link defeated Ganon in A Link to the Past. While the kingdom is at peace, Princess Zelda has a reoccurring dream of a shadow over a temple. When a mysterious light appears in the east of Hyrule, both Zelda and Sahasrala's younger brother Agana go to investigate. They find a young child lying on the ground and take the youth to Sahasrala's hideout near the eastern palace, where Agana now resides. Because of the young hero's clothing, they believe that the child may not be from Hyrule at all. Zelda learns that Sahasrala has left the land to seek out Link, who left after defeating Ganon years before. Sensing courage within the child, Zelda believes that they could be the Hero of Light. We won't go too in-depth of the game's plot for those that wish to play the game for themselves. The hero sets forth on a quest to retrieve ancient stone tablets in order to learn more on the impending evil. At the start of the game, the player has no weapon. Instead, prior to obtaining a sword and shield from the Eastern Palace, a golden bee in a bottle can be used to protect the player. When let loose, the bee will attack any monsters the hero encounters, but will run from those who wield the blade. Also given to the player is a bug-catching net and an ocarina, which can be used to return to the entrance of a dungeon. The game is set up over a timeline of four real-world weeks. Each week, an hour-long broadcast would be made, similar to that of a serialized story. Each week, the player would have a total of around 50 minutes to complete two dungeons, as well as explore Hyrule in search of secrets and bonuses. After the time limit is over, the player's progress would be saved regardless of their position in the game. Progress would be carried over to each session, and players would keep any obtained tablets, items, and rupees. Rather than allow players to complete unfinished dungeons from the previous week, a thief stands at the entrance of the dungeon and would supply the hero with any treasures they found within the dungeon. The narrator from BS Zelda makes a return in the game, but Agana and Princess Zelda will also speak to the player through telepathy. Their dialogue comes in the form of voice acting and informs the player as well as advances the game's plot. 
The game also has timed events, which can change the weather to rain or fog and introduce Zora enemies, as well as give players temporary powers. Some timed story events can also occur, such as the player having to save Zelda from Octorox, or helping the Sanctuary Sage from drowning in a lake. The game was only ever broadcast twice, and was impossible to boot the title outside of the designated broadcast time, resulting in it being impossible to play without emulation. Because the narration was broadcast to the player live and not stored locally, it's impossible to emulate the game's voice acting and orchestral soundtrack without the original audio. While not considered part of the Zelda canon, Ancient Stone Tablets is the first time in which Zelda is shown to predicting future events through her dreams. It also marks the first time in which Zelda's voice was ever heard. The game's plot also takes place six years after the events of A Link to the Past, the same period of time between the release of both games in Japan. Ancient Stone Tablets also marked the first time in which non-playable characters would move around the world and change behavior depending on the game's time, a feature used extensively in Majora's Mask. The term Hero of Light would also be featured in Four Swords Adventures, and is given to whoever is deemed most helpful during the multiplayer mode of Hyrulean Adventure. The BS Zelda titles are both impossible to play without the use of emulation. ROM files of the games can be found on the BS Zelda homepage, which was created in 1999 and is still maintained by Khan. The site archives all releases of the games, as well as all patches that are available for the titles. These patches can range from changing sprites to be linked during gameplay, to attempting to recreate the full original broadcast quality of the titles. Of course, these games never saw release outside of Japan, and were only available for a very limited time. In 1999, Nintendo broke its partnership with broadcaster Saint Giga, who controlled the service. And due to a dispute with the radio station, the service was officially terminated in 2000. The Zeteleview, or some variant of it, may have been considered for the international market at some point. Regional variations of the Super Nintendo all had expansion ports used by the Zeteleview on their underside, making it possible to utilize a similar device. However, there were no equivalent services to Saint Giga that operated outside of Japan. This would have made it difficult to get a similar device working in the West. Audio or radio dramas are also extremely popular in Japan, meaning the streams were tailored for a Japanese audience. In fact, many games have audio drama adaptations. Along with the cultural differences, the need to find voice actors for English releases would have been costly, making the investment of localizing the games an even bigger risk. Did you know? As critically acclaimed as The Legend of Zelda games are, the series has its fair share of mistakes. In A Link to the Past, there's an item called the Cane of Somaria, which has an interesting story surrounding its name. When the game was ported to Game Boy Advance, the item was renamed Cane of Somasoa, but only in the Japanese version. Professional game translator Clyde Mandelin looked into why the name was changed, and documented any differences between the various releases of the game. The re-releases on the Wii and Wii U Virtual Console, as well as the release on the SNES Yes, classic, call the item Cane of Somaria in English and Japanese. Mandelin even checked the version from the Japanese Super Famicom service, Nintendo Power. This now-defunct service allowed people to download Super Famicom titles onto a blank cartridge at the fraction of the retail price. The item in this version of A Link to the Past still had the Somaria name. However, the item is named differently in the GBA's game's various Japanese strategy guides. Both Famitsu and Nintendo's Dream Magazine guides referred to the item as Cane of Somaria. 
Somaria, with only Nintendo's official guide referring to the item as Somasoa. The word Somaria and the word Somasoa are very similar in Japanese. This is because the katakana for ri and so are visually alike, especially in a Link to the Past game front. It seems that while developing the GBA port, a member of the staff either misread or miswrote the Kane's name as Somasoa. This mistake must have stuck and made it into the game's retail release. The very first Zelda game on the NES has a number of grammatical errors and translation issues. The English game's opening text was lifted straight from the Japanese version, which was written entirely in English. In it, the Triforce of Power and Wisdom are referred to as the Triforce with Power and Wisdom. Ganon's name is also misspelled with an extra N. The spelling of Ganon was also present in the Famicom Disc version of Zelda 2 and the Japanese version of A Link to the Past. The English and Japanese versions of the original Zelda have several re-releases with minor revisions to them. The opening script was revised in 2003 for the Zelda collection on the GameCube, which fixed spelling errors in the message. However, most of the in-game text is still far from perfect, with odd wording and cryptic hints. There's one spelling error that managed to slip through the cracks time and time again. The Hintman in the first level talks about an eastern peninsula, but the word peninsula was again spelled with an extra N. Despite the changes made to the other spelling errors, this mistake popped up in the GBA port. It also occurred in the Zelda collection as well as the virtual console release for the Wii, Wii U, and Nintendo 3DS. It wasn't until the release of the NES Classic in 2016 when it was finally spelled correctly, nearly 30 years later. Developer oversights also led to the game's second quest mode, which essentially lets players replay the entire game with a few changed elements. In an Iwata asks on the history of handheld Zelda games, designer Takashi Tezuka revealed he mistakenly only used half of the game's memory when making the game's dungeons. Zelda creator Shigeru Miyamoto saw this as an opportunity, and the team used the remaining memory to house the second quest. Nintendo veteran Toshihiko Nakago explained what happened when Tezuka gave him the first game's dungeon layout. Tezukiya-san said, I did it and brought this to me. I created the data exactly in line with it. But then, Tetsukiya-san made a mistake and only used half the data. I said, Tetsukiya-san, there's only half here. Where did the other half go? And he was like, what? Oops. I messed up. Other releases of the game had even more spotty translation work, if any translation at all. In Europe, the first Zelda retained all English in-game text for most territories. Some versions left the text from the instruction manual untranslated, which likely left some players completely in the dark. This is somewhat addressed in the French release of Zelda 2. The game's manual came in French and featured translation for the in-game text, as some of it was still in English. However, the manual itself still had its fair share of mistranslations and errors. On top of this, not every line of dialogue and game was in the book, including important text the player needs to get through the game. In Minish Cap, the player is able to buy figurines, depicting characters and locations throughout the game. In the European PAL version, the figurine of the Ice Wizard Robe enemy tells the player to use the Fire Rod item on them, as they're weak to fire-based attacks. While the Fire Rod does exist in the game's code, it was ultimately cut from the final product, and their true weakness is in the Flame Lantern. When the game released in North America a couple months later, this information was fixed. Another example of a figurine giving false information is found in the Spear Moblin figurine. It states the Spear Moblin 
goblins can appear in the Minish Woods, though they actually can't be found there at all. Mistakes in Zelda games have even started urban legends. In A Link to the Past, there were rumors of an invisible enemy found in the Dark World Swamp of Evil, alternatively known as Misery Mire. If the player heads to the southern area of the swamp and uses the Bamos Medallion, they may be able to see the enemy catch fire and leave an item behind. Players were unsure of what this invisible enemy might have been for years, leading to the enemies being named the Ghost of Misery Mire. It wasn't until the rise of ROM hacking when the mystery was finally uncovered. A ROM editor by the name of Hyrule Magic was released in the early 2000s and unveiled everything in this game's code, including the supposed ghosts. The code reveals that they're actually fireball Zoras, enemies that do appear in the swamp and go by the name Ku in the Dark World. The oversight leading to the ghost came from A Link to the Past's water. The water can be found in two varieties, shallow and deep, with a specific type of Zora, or Ku, appearing in each. However, Ku were only programmed to appear in deep water, and several Ku in the swamp spawn in shallow water. Because the Ku are placed on tiles with properties they were never meant to spawn on, they were not properly rendered in-game. It's believed that these Ku have either misplaced spawn points or were originally in deep water, which was changed to shallow water later in development. Either way, their presence in the final game is surely a mistake. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Zelda games on the Nintendo 64 have a myriad of glitches, and a few details that were overlooked during development. A recurring oversight can be found in the pots of Ocarina of Time. The twins' house in the Kokiri Forest may show one pot in the background, but the collision model actually features two. Due to how the background is mapped to this collision, if Link tries to roll between the pots, parts of him will disappear behind the background, where the hidden pot is located. The guardhouse in Hyrule Castle also has data for two pots that are missing. In the Water Temple's room with the time geyser houses three unloaded pots, indicating that this room went through a redesign with pots being left out. Having used the same engine as Ocarina of Time and being developed in only 18 months, Majora's Mask shares a lot of similar glitches and oddities with its predecessor. It also reused many assets seen in Ocarina, but not every one of them made a perfect transition. The game's quest status screen has an unused item slot, for example, which in Ocarina was used for a golden scatula icon. The text on the Romani's ranch arc reads, Welcome to Kakariko Village when translated. This is because the arc was lifted right out of Ocarina of Time's corresponding area, and was fixed on the Majora's Mask remake on 3DS. Another oversight on Majora's Mask allows players to get more items for less money. If the player purchases an item in Majora's Mask, their rupee counter will tick down instead of immediately dropping. This isn't just a visual transition, however. It reflects the game's internal rupee counter. Because of this, players can buy more items than they should be able to. For example, if the player has 50 rupees and bought bombs for 30 rupees, if they manage Manage to spam the A button and click purchase again before the rupee ticker went below 30, they could buy a second set of bombs. Majora's Mask also housed a version of the infamous bottle dupe glitch, which allowed players to overwrite items assigned to the C button with a bottle. In one of the easier methods of pulling this off, players needed to catch something in a bottle, such as a fish, then go to the curiosity shop. When giving an item to the merchant, the player needs to hold the R button while pressing the A button to confirm the exchange, then quickly bring up the items menu by pausing and switch out the bottle with items of their choice. After 
the exchange has finished, the player will have an empty bottle in place of their old item. This glitch was also initially present in the 3DS remake, before getting patched out two weeks after its release. While the glitch is able to make certain tasks in-game easier, it's just as easy to permanently lose an important item through it, like the hookshot. Speaking of lost items, the Thunder Helm in Breath of the Wild can be permanently lost if it's received when the armor inventory is full. After getting the helmet from Riju, the game will register Link as having the taken item, but it won't show up in Link's inventory with no way to get it back. The game does have an effect in place to try and stop this from happening, pretending the player hasn't done the side quest required to get it if they don't have the space for it. But if the game is saved and reloaded several times, the scene may progress like normal, leading to the glitch. The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword also has its share of mistakes. The ancient robots all have model numbers that relate to the Lanayru Desert, with these numbers starting with LD. The LD stands for the Lanayru Desert, and different regional versions of Skyward Sword have different abbreviations in line with the area's name, such as Japan, which uses RS for Renuyu Sabaku. However, in this game's continuity, the robots were created before this area became a desert. When these robots were made, the area was a woodland by the sea. This means that any abbreviation referencing the desert doesn't make sense when the age of the robots is taken into account. The Legend of Zelda series has had its fair share of spin-offs, with a number of them being regional exclusive. These include a couple of Satellaview games, released digitally for a limited time through a service only available in Japan, which we've previously covered on this show. But also, the two games that we're going to be talking about today. Tingle, a bizarre little guy who first appeared in Majora's Mask, divided audiences with his strange characteristics. That, however, didn't stop him from having a number of games which specifically followed his adventures. So today, we're going to be looking at both freshly picked Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land and Irozuki Tingle no Koi no Balloon Trip, developed by Van Pool and published by Nintendo for the DS. Freshly picked Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land released in Japan in 2006 and Europe in 2007. The game follows Tingle and his transformation from an average Joe middle-aged man into a green-garbed fairy. Tingle begins to hear voices which guide him to a spring located nearby his house, where he meets Uncle Rupee. Uncle Rupee is an older-looking man with a giant rupee for a head, who offers Tingle the chance to live out his days in a paradise known as Rupee Land, so long as he continues to throw rupees into the pool. With more and more rupees being offered to Uncle Rupee, a tower from beneath the water will begin to rise toward the sky, allowing Tingle to enter Rupee Land. By accepting Uncle Rupee's offer, he is transformed so as to make rupees his sole source of life. The game's events take place across three continents with a total of 11 islands, with each themed differently, containing either a dungeon or a puzzle that must be solved. The main goal of the game is to make the tower in the spring reach Rupee Land, with the gameplay centering around collecting as much money as possible. Combined with this are several traditional gameplay elements from The Legend of Zelda such as solving puzzles and exploring dungeons. On top of this, the player must barter with a variety of NPCs to obtain both information and items, costing what the player must deem to be a reasonable price. Paying too little will provide the player with nothing, but paying too much will needlessly inflate how much they need to let go. This is likely the most bizarre element to the game, with so many people asking you to determine what is believed to be a fair price in certain scenarios. Defeating bosses and completing dungeons not only provides substantial rupee payouts, but also rewards the player with one of five gemstones, with all five needing to be obtained to complete the game. 
As the tower grows, more areas are unlocked at certain heights, leading to a continual need to donate money to progress. Items can also be obtained and sold on Tingle's adventure, or they can be used to aid other characters. Items can sometimes be combined to create new variations in a boiling pot located in Tingle's house. There are also decorative items which can be used to decorate the top floor of Tingle's home. While exploring, the DS's top screen acts as a map. However, maps must first be discovered, and even then, they are not complete. The game has the player circle landmarks on their maps, encouraging the player to explore all of a map's area. Once completed, the player can of course keep hold of their map or sell it to the map maker for rupees, meaning that the player will no longer have a map for certain areas should they return to them. As Tingle is very much not a fighter, combat is peculiar in this game. Tingle initiates battles by simply walking into enemies, creating a large dust cloud. By tapping on the cloud with the stylus, Tingle beats his opponents more quickly, but it's also possible to move during combat to add more enemies into the mix. By increasing the number of enemies in a battle, rewards are increased exponentially, but also how quickly Tingle is hurt. As Tingle's life force is directly attached to his rupees, damage simply depletes the player's rupee count the longer a battle goes on. To assist in combat and puzzles throughout the game, Tingle can hire several supporting characters into his party in the form of bodyguards. Bodyguards all have varying stats and uses, and will assist in combat as well as being necessary to solve certain puzzles throughout the game. These characters are controlled by dragging them with the stylus, while Tingle is controlled with the system's buttons. Tingle is also aided by another fairy on his quest, known as Pinkle, who provides various hints and tips along the adventure. Though not necessarily accepted as canon within the Zelda universe, Tingle's Rosy Rupee Land actually explains more about who Tingle is in the world of Hyrule. Tingle is actually not a person specifically, but rather a state of being, capable of falling upon any living thing. The game requires you to name your character, not allowing the name Tingle to be used at all. The name Tingle is still used, however, being adopted by the player after they are transformed. Whoever becomes Tingle will automatically don the green and red suit associated with the character, and will become dependent on rupees to survive. Without rupees, Tingle will die. The game also suggests that, like Link, the person who becomes Tingle is bound to the role by destiny. Uncle Rupee may also have got his name as a result of a bad translation. In the original Japanese version of the game, he is known as Old Man or Grandpa Rupee, suiting his appearance. It's possible that the translator hadn't noticed a single character of his name, which changes the word from Old Man to Uncle. The game includes a wide number of references, such as the boss fight with Captain Stalfos having a top screen similar to that of Nintendo's punch-out cabinets in arcades. Even the game's combat system is similar to an earlier Nintendo game, The Frog for Whom the Bell Tolls, another title which we've covered on this channel before. Making this even more interesting, The Frog for Whom the Bell Tolls was actually a game which had its engine adapted for another, earlier entry into the Legend of Zelda series, Link's Awakening. This means that Rosie Rupeeland pays homage to the predecessor of an earlier portable Zelda title. We'll talk more on the game's localization and release after we explore the next Tingle adventure game on the DS, Ripened Tingle's Balloon Trip of Love. Ripened Tingle's Balloon Trip of Love was released exclusively in Japan in 2009. Unlike Rosie Rupee Land, where the game centers around money, Balloon Trip of Love is all about women. 
Just like in the previous title, the game begins with the player taking on the role of a regular 35-year-old man. Whilst watching telesales on his television, he finds out about a book known as Ripened Valiant Hero's Balloon Trip of Love, a novel following the story of a hero who leaves his parents to fall in love with a princess. He purchases the book at the discounted price of just two rupees. However, when he finally opens the book, he is sucked inside and transformed into Tingle. His goal, and only means of escaping the book, is to have a dance with the princess of the book's world, the primary goal of the title. While in this mysterious world, Tingle becomes acquainted with three characters reminiscent of those found in The Wizard of Oz. Kakashi, a friendly scarecrow, Buriki, a surly robot, and Lion, the cowardly lion. Each serve different gameplay roles, with Kakashi capable of fitting into small spaces and using straw to prod at things, Buriki being able to kick objects or analyze them using her robot skills, and Lion being a coward, though immensely strong, who has a good rapport with animals. With their help, Tingle must solve puzzles to progress, making his way to the city where he and his companions can all have their wishes granted to them. An additional and central gameplay element to the title is romancing various women. Tingle must form relationships with girls throughout his journey, gaining their affections by showering them with gifts, with each one having their own specific tastes. These gifts can both be purchased or found throughout the game. Unlike the previous entry in the series, Balloon Trip of Love plays more closely to a point-and-click adventure game, with the gameplay being almost exclusively played with the stylus. The player must simply tap objects on screen to interact with them, solving various puzzles and making use of their inventory to further the story. Similar to Rosie Rupeeland, the game makes several references to other Nintendo series. During page 4, an expired bottle of juice can be found in a spooky abandoned house. If Tingle chooses to drink it, he will have a sudden upset stomach, running from the house to the invincibility theme from Super Mario. On page 6, a minigame can be played which pays homage to Super Mario Bros. 2, including a character select menu of the same style, in which the player must pick vegetables and worms from a field. At the end of a dungeon minigame, a victory dance is displayed, which has Tingle appear as he does in Majora's Mask. The robot crew who operate the Orbital Industries Shipping Center are almost exactly the same in appearance to that of Chibi-Robo. There are also many more throughout Tingle's adventure, so we won't be naming them all. While the first iteration of Tingle-centric games did receive a release in Europe, the second did not, and to top it off, neither titles made their way to an American audience at all. The reasoning behind this has never been officially stated by Nintendo, though fan speculation is that the sexualized themes of Tingle could have lent themselves to caution on Nintendo's part. It's also no secret that Tingle has often received a negative response by American audiences, even being acknowledged by Zelda director Eiji Ayanuma himself. After all, this is the reason that Tingle never appears in Twilight Princess. Though many would argue that the negativity surrounding the character is mostly in jest, and in some ways plays into the character's role within the Zelda series. With that said, Tingle's Rosie Rupeeland had an official poll on Nintendo's website, asking players whether the title should be released to American audiences, with the results swinging, arguably surprisingly, against a release. The fact that Nintendo felt the need to create a poll could be seen as an attempt to gauge a real response on people's feelings towards the character, and the idea of a game centered entirely around him. 
asking players if they thought he was interesting enough, whether he was considered funny, interesting, boring, or annoying, and even how people would react if he appeared in the then-upcoming mainline Zelda game, Twilight Princess. Seeing as Balloon Trip of Love has even more of a sexualized central theme, primarily involving Tingle flirting with women in order to gain their affection, it's unsurprising that Nintendo were reluctant to consider a translation and localization overseas. This second title didn't even see a release in Europe, despite the first entry making its way to the continent. Though this could also suggest that Rosie Rupeyland was released in Europe as translation work had already been underway with the expectation that the game would be released in the US. As audience had voted against the release in the US, the English translation could still be put to at least some use by launching the game within PAL territories. A fan translation for Balloon Trip of Love was completed in 2017, however, created by several people collectively known as Team Tingle. In 2010, Vanpool, developers of both games, were developing an additional full Tingle title, though the concept was ultimately dropped. The game would have been a horror title, starring Tingle in the main role, though it was cancelled due to, quote, a variety of reasons. However, it could be argued that a horror game with Tingle would be something that would have likely resonated with an American audience more than the slightly creepy perverted elf man going on his wacky adventures. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 